Before I get started, let's pray. Um, Father God, oh, Your great name, the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Amazing, Lord, what You, what you did for each and every one of us. It's the easiest thing in the world to take for granted that You left heaven and You gave Your life so that we could repent, we could bow our knees at the foot of the cross at the name of Jesus, and You save us, and You change us, and you, it's, it's no different, Lord, than it's, it's, you raise people from the dead. That's, that's amazing, and it's no less great a miracle that you reach into a man's heart, and you change them, and make them want to serve you, make them want to read your word, make them want to pray and talk to you, and want to do right. An amazing thing, Lord, amazing transformation as I continue to talk about this process that you take us through, Lord. And today as we talk about mourning, Lord, I, I mourn as I sit there and, and watch these teenagers play for you. Lord, I didn't do that. I wish I would have. I, I wish I could go back and do it right, but I can't, Lord. So I repent. I, I acknowledge that I bring nothing to the table. I can't change a man's heart. I can't change a person. I can't. Make them want to serve you, want to love you, want to be saved. Only you can do that through the precious Holy Spirit, Lord. And that's what I pray today, that your presence so fill this place. The Lord, we leave. We have to make a decision. We have to choose you or we have to choose this world. Make yourself irresistible so that we will want to choose you. As always, open our eyes, Lord, so that we can see something we've never seen before. Open our ears so we can hear something we've never heard before, maybe in a way we've never heard before. Open up our minds, Lord, so that we can know and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God that are infinite, Lord. Most of all, open up our hearts, Lord, so that we'll leave here loving You more, in love with You, as we go about what we would consider just the mundane tasks of what we have to do every day. Just put that joy within our hearts, Lord, so that we love You and people just think that's so strange and it gives us the opportunity to tell them the name of Jesus and what You've done for us. There's nobody like You, Lord. Bless the Word. As I bring it, Lord, anoint me to bring the word. In your name I pray. Amen. So we've been talking. First, I just finally got started on the process. And, and um, last week, we went to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about what it went like, what it meant to be poor in spirit. If you weren't here, you can go on our website and listen to the 53 minute and two second message I did on it. Um, but, you know, blessed are those who, blessed are, go back to three um, for a second. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means that you bring nothing to the table. We talked about sin and how it separates us from God and how that should drive you to Him. How when you don't want to read the Bible and you don't want to pray to Him, recognize that as, Lord, I am poor in spirit. I bring nothing if you don't change me. I don't want to do this because I have to. I don't want to do this out of obligation. 
I want to do it because I, I love you. I want to do it because I want to. I want to gravitate toward you and your word just like I used to sin and destruction and all. I want to gravitate toward that. I'm poor in spirit because I don't desire that thing. Change my desires. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And if you are poor in spirit, you have access to the kingdom of heaven. I used to think it was pray a prayer and you get to go to heaven when you die. But no, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven and access to the things of God down here. The Holy Spirit, the joy in the Lord, the things that He offers us down here, the kingdom of heaven that so many people who even say they're Christians don't seem to care about today. If you're poor in spirit, you have access to the things of God. Throughout this whole series, keep in mind that being poor in spirit is the foundation. It's very easy to leave this foundation and start thinking that you know something about the Bible or start thinking that your goodness and the things you do in church because you play, because you preach, because you take up the offering, because you do something, you start thinking because you do something that you're kind of in good with God and you can start being puffed up in spirit, which is the opposite of poor in spirit. You know, the Pharisees were far from poor in spirit, but they knew Everything about the, the Word at the time, they knew it all, you know, everything. But they were not poor in spirit, and therefore they rejected Jesus, even crucified Him, who is the kingdom of heaven, who gives us access to all that. They rejected Him because they refused to be poor in spirit and recognize their need for Him. It's very easy to get religious and start thinking that the things you do make you right with Him. No, we bring nothing to the table. We brought nothing when we bowed the knee to Him but sin and destruction. We were on the wide road that leads to destruction. But He put us on the narrow path that leads to life. It's all because of Him. It's all because of that great name that they sang about this morning. So today we go to the second one. Uh, in verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So, you know, right off the bat, what does it mean to mourn? And if you ask people in general, just, you know, you start thinking sad people. Well, sad. You know, that has something to do with death. Or why are you sad? Why, you know, what would, what would make somebody be comforted for, for being sad or for mourning? Well, the definition... It's to feel or express sorrow to show the customary signs of grief for a death. For a death. And I don't know if any of you have read it, but you, if, you, if you can, get Jeremy Camp's book. Um, it's called I Still Believe. I read that you know, last week um, in the two snow days. You know, I killed a book in two days because I didn't have much else to do. Um, but I, I, I read that book, man, and... I mean, Jeremy's got this story where you know he met and he fell in love with this um, with this girl, and man, she had cancer, and you know it was it just spread all through her body, and they 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 prayed, you know, they did everything. It looked like everything was going to be good, and she and she got they got married, went on their honeymoon, but on their honeymoon she started having these stomach pains, and you know they were real worried about you know about her and everything. Came back, found out that cancer had spread. Although he got to be married to his wife for about two and a half months before she went to be with the Lord. 
And throughout that whole, you know, process, you know, that he's going through and, you know, he still, he believes in God. You know, I mean, he wrote the song, I still believe in your faithfulness and your holy word because of all that. And every time it seemed like they were at their darkest time, if she could say any words, she'd say, go get your guitar. Go get your guitar. Pick up your guitar. Let's sing praises to the Lord. And he'd say over and over, it was the last thing I wanted to do. It was the last thing I wanted to do. Pick up my guitar and play and sing praises to this God who it didn't seem to be helping her, but she was so full of him. And she'd say things like, man, if just one person gets saved because of all this, won't it all be worth it? And he's like, where did that come from? But she died. And through all that, you know, he mourned. I mean, he was grievous over the, over his wife's death, but she taught him how to praise. I mean, I would even say we wouldn't even know who Jeremy Camp is had he not gone through that because he was ready to put up the guitar. He didn't want anything to do with playing music after she died. And so he just, one day, God said, pick up your guitar. He said, I don't want to pick up my guitar. Pick up your guitar. That he started just playing and wrote the song. I still believe in just uh, about 10 minutes, you know, and just read those words and say, no matter what, from here on out, I feel, I feel like I've been through the worst thing I could possibly be through. I will still believe. I will still be faithful to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I will see my wife again. I will. I will. I still believe. So it can mean to mourn death, but whose death? Whose, whose death do we mourn? If we're going to be comforted by death, and I think it's your death, my death, at least your old self. Look at Luke 9, 27 again. We looked at this last week. But I tell you truly, um, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till the kingdom of God. And I think I gave you the wrong uh, verse back there because the one I meant to put up was uh, anyone who would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And in denying yourself, I mean, you know, the, the, I remember these first things that I used to deny. I mean, there was a way I used to talk, and there was words I used to say around my friends, you know, who I thought my, were my friends that I needed to impress. And I remember just not saying those words. You know, denying myself the right to be cool through cussing, if that's even possible, which is weird, you know, if you think about it. Um, but, you know, denying that, and people start saying, what's the matter with you? You don't talk the way you used to talk. You know, you, you start denying yourself, and you start this head-on confrontation. You know, they recognize, listen, there's, there's something different about you. You don't talk the way you used to talk. And then, take up your cross, take up your cross. Your old self, man, dies. You're, you're gone. You come up brand new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, old things pass away. All things become new. This is your death. And with Matthew writing these words to the Beatitudes firsthand from the Savior's mouth, this had to be what he struggled with because Matthew was a rich man. He ripped people off for a living. He was a tax collector, a despised tax collector. And when you read his book, he says things like, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why would he say that? Because he was a rich man. 
He said, I liked all the comforts. I liked all the stuff. And here Jesus is asking me to deny myself all those pleasures that I loved the fact that money could buy, that I had the money to buy. And he says, to, to take up my cross, he, he wants my old self to be gone. I struggle with that. That's what, that was Matthew's struggle. And that's what he, he says. And that's part of mourning his own death. It's part of mourning his old life because part of him is just like those children of Israel and say, man, you know, when you, when you read that Old Testament, they'd actually say things. Oh, you remember that food we had back in Egypt? And Moses would say, you were slaves. They forced you to work. They beat you. And you, you think that little bit of pleasure back then, you'd go back to that trash. Matthew had the same struggle. Something in him, I want to go back. And, and I remember those nice things I used to could buy. Those nice meals I used to, and those parties I could throw. He's mourning his old life. And I remember myself, I dragged and dragged this part of the process out because when I first got saved, I wanted both. I wanted the pleasures of my old sinful life and I wanted God. And that's that lukewarmness. That's, that's not pulling the Joshua 24, 15, choose who you're going to serve. If you want that old sinful life, go for it. If you want God, go for Him. But don't do this double-minded thing where you think you can have both. Choose this day who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. But as I became poor in spirit, that I began to mourn that sin. I remember I, I mourned the wasted years because, you know, I got saved at 16, but I never, I never read my Bible probably until I was like 21 years old. Didn't even pick it up. And, and my, my friend at the time, man, he bought me a brand new one with my name on it and everything because he had heard I'd gotten saved. I think I picked it up and read it and said, Lord, I need you to change me. No, I just kept on trying to do both. And I didn't like where it led me. I didn't like heading toward the bottom and realizing I was about to hit bottom. So for the first time, I became poor in spirit, kneeling by my uh, bed at my parents' house. I said, Lord, if I'm going to change, you're going to have to change me. I can't. I still gravitate toward that old stuff that I know you hate. I know you don't like the way I'm doing things, Lord, but if I'm going to do things your way, you're going to have to change me. I don't really want to read the Bible. I think it's hard to read the Bible. I don't understand any of it. You're going to have to help me. I'm so pathetically poor in spirit. I bring nothing to the table. Will you change me? And I started reading the Bible. I don't think out of my own willpower or having to. He changed my heart. And I wanted to. And there was this difficult and lonely time where my friends were being replaced. You know, my old friends in the, in the band that I used to play with, they didn't really want anything to do with me anymore. I didn't talk like them. I didn't even listen to the stuff they listened to anymore. And so you kind of in this place where you do, you get into this mourning thing where, God, you know, do I, do I go back, you know, to my old life? I mean, I feel like I'm here. I'm all alone. I know you're with me, but it's hard. And guilt just begins to pile up because you haven't done things right. I mean, that's, that's mourning. And instead of thanking Christ for my new heart, I let the devil start whispering his accusations to me. Uh, he would say things like, man, you gave away your purity. Like it was nothing. 
You knew better, but you just gave it away. And he would say things like, you would flat out take his name in vain, Adam. You would, you would say GT. You would say that kind of stuff. And not only did you take it in vain that way, Adam, you said you were a Christian. You said you were, and then you acted completely contrary to that fact. You say, the devil would just whisper these accusations. You're still sexually immoral. You gravitate toward filth, Adam. And I would listen to him. And what do you do when these accusations come and you realize you're so poor in spirit and you realize you're trying to get over this old sinful life and you're mourning it? Look at Romans chapter 7 verse 24. I love this verse. When you realize it, oh, wretched man that I am. That was the point of, of, that was where I was at the time. Wretched man that I am. Look at this. Who will deliver me? I mean, wouldn't you think that would be what? Is there not some book I can read and, and maybe just kind of tell me what to do? I can kind of get over this and stop doing this. Can I not just try harder? Can I not? But no, he says, who, who will deliver me from this body of death that's so prone to go to all this destruction? And we know who the great name of Jesus Christ. All those accusations were true that the devil would throw at me. But all of this, I had to and you have to let this drive you to him. We do have someone who will save us and that we can go to. And I was going back and forth between defeated and, and, and being victorious. And even when I started really living for the Lord and realizing he was changing my heart, I would always have this guilt. I was mourning my sin. I was like, God, I can't believe the way I was as a supposed saved Christian, can you ever forgive me? And it was like something in me kept saying, no, he can't forgive you. No, he can't forgive you. And I rode this guilt for years until I met my wife. Now, she's not here today. She's probably got the flu. So y'all got to pray for her. My little girl's got it too. Um, but I remember when we were dating and... I remember thinking, you know, how wonderful she was. And I remember thinking, she don't know how I was before her. Who she knows is after all things became new. But she didn't know old things pass away. She didn't know that one. And so, you know, when I, when we got serious and I knew I wanted to marry her, I had to tell her. I mean, without going into detail, I had to tell her everything. I had to tell her. I, I think I finally confessed and really poured out everything for the first time. I've never really done it before God, but I did it before her and God. And as I was, as I was telling her, I just began to cry. I mean, I think I truly mourned my sin. I was truly in a state where I was so sorry for the life I'd lived up to that point. And she began to cry. And all I just remember was sitting there crying and she finally spoke. She said, Adam, she said, have you asked the Lord to forgive you for your sin? I said, yes, I ask him every day. She said, stop it. I said, why? Why would I want to stop it? 
She said, because if you asked him, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. She said, I forgive you too. Let's go from today forward and never look back. And for the first time, I was comforted. I realized there's no way that my wife is my future wife, my fiance, who is, is more forgiven than my heavenly father. Why have I been viewing him as somebody that said, Adam, you've been so bad. I got a lightning bolt for you. I'm just waiting for the perfect time to strike you with it. Why have I looked at him? He loves me. He wants the best for me. He came and he gave his life for me. It's amazing. And from that day forward, I think I passed this stage of the Beatitudes. I mourned my sin. I was truly sorry for everything that had happened up to that point. But I was comforted by the words of my future wife who was just repeating the words of, of my Savior who I had asked for forgiveness for years ago. When she forgave me, I was finally comforted in the fact that my sin was forgiven and you had better let Christ comfort you. If you're still living in the past, here's a verse for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. I'd never seen this before. For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, we don't really have a problem believing that, that death or life could separate us from the love of God nor angels, nor principality, nor powers. We, we don't even have a problem believing that could separate us from the love of God. But look at this. Nor things present. And keep it right here. Nor things to come. Things in the present. Or things in the future. Why doesn't it say things in the past? Because those things can destroy you. They can separate you. If you hold on to that sin in the past, Paul doesn't go there because they can separate you. You can let your past keep you defeated and never receive the kingdom of heaven. Never receive God's forgiveness. I was refusing His forgiveness. I was letting my pride. My sin was so bad. You can't forgive me for that. He could. But you got to mourn that sin and let him comfort you because nothing present nor things to come will separate you from that love of God. But if you let it, oh man, the devil will make sure that past keeps you from that love and it'll keep you away from that word. It'll keep you from away, away from church, keep you away from the things of God. It can. I think that's why Paul does not mention the past because it can. I almost did. And somebody in here, I'm sure you may be letting your past keep you, separate you from that love of God. Don't do it anymore. Mourn your sin. Yes, it's bad, but the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, He will comfort you. Isn't that amazing? Go to the next verse. Nor height nor depth nor created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amazing. The sin of our old lives when we allow those sinful things to rule us and keep us away from the kingdom of heaven. I hate when I visit that place. I go there too, too often than I would like to think of my old sin. I go there too often. And I think, well, who would have gotten saved if I'd lived right back then? Who would have joined me 
and living right. Me and my, my best friend who comes uh, most Sundays says, we talk about it all the time. You know, like, man, what if we had just done what we knew to do? I knew, you knew, but we never talked about the Lord. Who would have lived their Christianity if you had? Who would have if I had? Who did you hurt? Or who did you use because of the way you were? I got plenty of them. And I, and I almost, I hate the stories when they come up. I, I remember teaching at the alternative school, uh, that there was a, um, kid that, uh, you know, he was just going through a lot. And, you know, before I ever talked to a kid about the Lord, I like to talk to the parents, you know, and just make sure they're cool with it. You know, I've never had a parent say no. You know, they're all like, Lord, if you put some Jesus in them, please put some Jesus in them. You know, they need, they need something. And so, um, I remember this, uh, this lady coming and she came to the school and we were sitting there talking and everything and she just kept grinning and kept grinning. And I was like, uh, she said, you don't know who I am, do you? I said, I guess no, I don't. And she, and she started naming this party that she threw that she was at. And I quickly realized that I was there. I got so embarrassed. I'm talking, I was so red. I was humiliated. And she just looked at me and grinned. She said, that's why I've been grinning. She said, you wouldn't have preached about then, were you? I said, no. And she said, we all change. She said, we, we all change. She said, no, you absolutely have my permission, you know, but, but I hate that stuff. I mean, and I was thinking, you know, I was there as a saved Christian. Why? What was my, what was my problem? And you just think about all the what ifs. How much earlier could you have been experiencing the presence of the Almighty God? Had you just lived right earlier? I think honestly, the majority of God's presence early on for me was just conviction. I was convicted when I would do wrong. But thank God for bold preachers of this word. Every person's got to decide whom he or she is going to allow to influence his or her walk. We mourn our sin when you realize it. Put it under the blood as quickly as possible and go from this day forward living for him, reading his word, praying to him, letting him change your heart. We mourn the sin of others. Check out 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1 through 6. Now, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, and this is, this is how he starts this chapter. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. Now, I wonder what he would say to most of our churches today. I mean, like, this is like, he's like, exasperated. I can, it's actually reported. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. I mean, don't think about that too much. And if you are puffed up, he says, and you are puffed up. He's like, you, you brag about this. You, you think you got it going on. Your heads are swell and, and have not rather mourned. Look at that. And have not rather, there's the word, mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. He's like, listen, you should be mourning this sin. He said, you're tolerating this sin. You can't do that. This kind of sin's got to go. For indeed, I indeed as absent in body, but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed. I've got my own judgment about this. You should mourn this stuff. It's keeping everybody from the presence of the Lord. 
In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's kind of interesting right there. He's saying, listen, deliver the guy over. He's got to go, and the hope is not that he goes out there and do kind of like we do today, so well, you're going to hell, but no, that you go. Go experience that life for a little while. See where it leads, and in hopes that it will drive them back to the Lord Jesus. Because that's our problem. you got to choose this day who you're going to serve. If you want your sin... Go for it. Do it right. If it's all about money, go make some money. If it's all about sex, go get as much as you think you possibly can consume. Go that route. But don't try to do both. And if you go that route, you will not like where it ends up. And you have hope that you can turn to this side and say, Jesus, I know I messed it up. Will you forgive me? Yes, that's the hope that they have for this man. Let them go. Get them out. Let them go sin. And just maybe their soul will be saved. They'll probably destroy their body. I mean, you see that with drugs all the time. People have destroyed their bodies. I mean, there's people my age, 39, that look like they're 59 because they've, they've let drugs destroy their body. And listen, the body got destroyed, but hey, they didn't like where it ended up. Jesus, will you save me? Absolutely. And their soul gets saved. He said, but all this glorifying that you're doing is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Do you not know that if you allow that sin and you tolerate it and you never address it, that the next generation is just going to assume it's okay it leavens the whole lump your glorying is not good don't allow that in your church don't you know this affects us all that's what he's saying and i think about Achan in Joshua chapter 7 who just said nobody will know if I take from the spoils that's supposed to go to God's house. And I think about those 36 men that went to Ai and they got murdered in the process of, of fleeing. You know, why did they have to die? All because one man thought that he wouldn't hurt anybody else. And I think about David, you know, when, when he was in the cave, Running from King Saul, he prayed all the time. But when he was in the palace and he had everything, he didn't pray very much. He was out on the rooftop looking at women bathe. And that got him in trouble. And it cost Uriah, her husband, his life. And what about the little baby that was to be born to them? You know, he said, because you did this, David, the child that is born to you shall die. It costs people. Think about Adam and Eve. If they could see into the future to us right now and know that billions of people were going to die and go to a place called hell for eternity, do you think she would have taken a bite? Even if she could have looked temporarily into the future and seen Cain take and strike her son and kill him, and see the blood on the ground, you think she'd have done it? No. 
Sin, it's a disastrous thing and you need to mourn it. You need to flee from it, get away from it as far as you can. Put it under the blood and let the God of heaven comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I even think about this Adam. i got sins, guys, I don't want anybody to know about. So I think of Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper. That's what King David did. He tried to cover it all up. And what did God do? He uncovered it before everybody. But whoever confesses his sin and forsakes them, that's what I'm here to do today to let you know I'm not always been the preacher. Wasn't always a preacher, were you? No, I wasn't. Okay? And no, I wasn't even always a, a Christian who loved God, but I'm here to confess my sin. I'll let you know that, yes, I haven't been what I should be, but from today forward, I want to be everything God wants me to be. And if I'll forsake those sins, them, they will have mercy. So I like to put it this way. If you uncover your sins before God, He'll cover them before men. You know, I hope... No, nothing ever surfaces that like, oh yeah, look at your preacher, what he used to do. I hope nothing ever surfaces. And I believe God will be faithful and just to keep that covered up. I'll let you know. Listen, I hadn't always been what I should be, but I want to be today with all of my heart. Or you can cover your sins before God. And you can come in here Sunday after Sunday and act like everything's fine and act like you've got it going on. But eventually, if you keep that attitude... He'll uncover them before me and it will be made known. Mourn sin and then put it in the past and from this day forward, the God of all, God of all heaven will comfort you. And Mickey, if you want to make your way on up, the, I'm going to end with this. In Luke chapter 5, this is one of my favorite stories that illustrates what I'm talking about. When Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, this is Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, the verses before that say, listen, they cleaned their nets. They were ready to pack up and go home. It hadn't been the best day. And Jesus comes along and he says, listen, I want you to go and do it again. But I want you to do it my way. And Simon answered and said to him, Master, all night we've toiled. Like he didn't know this, you know. And we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, just because you say so, and I respect you so much, I will do it your way. I will let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets Their net was breaking. So they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Amazing. When Simon Peter saw it, here it is. Now what did did he do here? He did his job, what he did for a living, Jesus' way, And he got success. He tasted and saw that the Lord is good. He did this back to to me in about 2007 when I did not like being a teacher at all. 
He said, Adam, why don't you do it for me? Instead of going in there and, you know, focusing on them and focusing on your administrators and all that testing and all the grading and all that, why don't you focus on me? Will you go in there and when you, will you do it for me? And I began to love my job. It's been amazing, you know, the people that I've been able to influence and lead to the Lord and the parents that I've been able to talk to. I look at him and I think, God, you're amazing. Why did I do it my way for so long? Peter might be wondering the same thing. When he saw what Jesus did and how good he was and how beneficial it was to do it his way, he fell down at Jesus' knees and listened to these words. Depart from me. For I am a sinful man. Oh Lord, he mourned his sin. God, I didn't truly, really love you. I didn't really truly think I would really do things your way. But here you are being so good to me when I haven't always treated you that well. Yes, I respect you, but, but I never really been obedient to you. And he says, Lord, you're amazing. And me, I'm a sinful man. I'm a nobody. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, which they had taken. He was amazed. And he didn't look at like, whoa, look at all this money that I'm going to bring in. He looked at the Savior and he said, I'm a sinful dude. I'm a sinful. You know, and, and Jesus never said, well, you're not, you're going to go to hell if you don't accept me. Would you like to pray and accept me into your heart? He didn't have to do any of that. All Peter had to do was taste and see that the Lord was good. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, so Peter, here he is. He's mourning. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's here. He's comforting you, man. That's awesome. He says, from now on, you thought this was awesome. You thought two boatloads of fish was awesome. You're going to catch men. And in 2015, there's going to be people talking about this, and they're still going to be receiving new life from me. And they're going to choose to do their own life my way. And they're going to see the blessing. They're going to experience the same thing you experience. Peter, it's going to be amazing. What would happen, guys, if us who call ourselves Christians go to school tomorrow and you sit in class and you pay attention, not because the teacher's up there, not for your parents, but you do it for him. You work at whatever you do with all of your heart, like you're working for God, not for people. And things will begin to happen when you do things his way and you'll realize, God, what have I been thinking? You'll taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll be sorry for your past sin, but it should drive you to the foot of the cross. And He will say, don't be afraid. I have overcome the world. I'm with you always. Now do things my way and go catch men. Let other people see your good deeds that your light will shine before men and those men will glorify the Father who is in heaven. So when they had brought their boats to land, 
They did the natural response of anybody that's mourned their sin and been comforted. They forsook all and followed Him. Guys, if the Lord is speaking to you today, guys, let's gather around this this altar. And I just want, guys, for you to mourn your sin. I mean, yes, think about Think about the way you've been doing life. If you're pleased with it, stay there. But if you're not and you know you need to put some things in the past and you need to let it go and you need to quit letting the devil bring it to mind, then lay it at the foot of the cross and let Jesus tell you, don't be afraid. From this day forward, do it my way. From this day forward, go catch me. Would anybody like to join me? Come on down.